This is an AMI podcast. Hello, I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI Audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to The Pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Ooh, getting cold out here. Winter's settling in. So what kind of skier are you? Personally, I like both Alpine and Nordic. Alpine for going down those mountains and that feeling of speed, and Nordic for getting around the mountains and covering territory, and that great cardio, that really full body workout. Man, that's a great sport for sure, keep you healthy. We're gonna learn all about skiing today, and that includes backcountry with my friend, Tyson Reddy from the Braille Mountain Initiative. I'll meet you back at the cabin. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Lily, what did you find out for us about skiing? Okay, so there are two different types of ski equipment. Yeah? Alpine and Nordic. Alpine and Nordic, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So Alpine is all about skiing down mountains, and Nordic's more about skiing around them. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. (laughs) But there are a a bunch of, like, variations, and a lot of interest by people with low or no vision to ski using both Alpine and Nordic. So they they do both. It's true. I mean, I I, I did a little scan myself, and there's a lot of ski clubs across Canada for uh, people with low vision and uh, blindness. And you have both. You have alpine skis and Nordic skis. Uh, I do. Yeah. I do. And I, I enjoy doing both. I mean, I ski with the ski hawks here in uh, Ottawa. I've been doing that for years. Love it. And uh, we used to have a, an outdoor adventure club here in Ottawa as well. And we did a lot of cross-country skiing together. That I have some stories <laughs> I can tell you about that that I'd make your hair stand on it. <laughs> we'll skip that. I found a ski program for people with vision loss that recently held its program at William Watson Lodge. Ah, the in infamous William Watson Lodge. <laughs> Kananaskis in Alberta. Yes. It's called Ski for Light. Ski for Light. Yeah. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> According to their website, it's an all-volunteer, non-profit organization for blind and visually impaired skiers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was founded in 1978, modeled on Ski for Light USA, which began in 1975. So they got inspiration from the U.S. Their motto is, if I can do this, I can do anything. Well, you know, that's pretty much could apply to anybody, anytime, but I like it. I like it. Well, Ski for Light Canada, it's an annual event that pairs blind and low-vision cross-country skiers with a sighted guide for a week of skiing and social events. The 42nd annual 2020 event was held at William Watson Lodge in Kananaskis. Like they pulled that off in 2020 just before the shutdown. Lucky in the them, yeah. 2020. Yeah. The six-day event is held annually in early February. Each visually impaired skier is paired for the week with an experienced sighted cross-country skier who acts as a guide. You can race... 2.5 kilometers, 5 kilometers, or 10 kilometers. The categories are B1 for no vision at all, B2 for up to 5% vision, and B3 for 5 to 10% vision. These categories of blindness for racing, you see that in a lot of different sports for blind people. I know for sailing they have that, and I think they have that for downhill skiing as well. I feel like it's only fair. Yeah. 
I, I don't think so. they should pin someone who can partially see you with someone who can't see at all. I feel like that wouldn't be that would be unfair. I know. We blind people would <laughs> kick their butts. <laughs> or not. Well, okay. According to the International Blind Sports Association website, yeah. Alpine, which is downhill skiing, is one of the rare opportunities available that allows the blind individual to move freely at speed through time and space. You move through time and space when you ski? Oh, man, it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> I do, too, but I don't close my eyes. You should. Try it. No, don't. Don't do it. Do no. not close your eyes. <laughs> it provides the opportunity to embrace and commune with the primal force of gravity, thus experiencing the sheer exhilaration of controlled mass in motion in a physically independent setting. That sounds like a physics experiment. I feel like it is. Oh, well, but I, it's so cool. Right? Like, back to the future. Uh, yeah, if you go fast enough. Yeah. Well, according to the website, there are two primary ways to orient and guide skiers who are blind or have low vision. The guide remains behind the skier, orienting the skier with verbal descriptions and instructions. That's what I use. The guide precedes the skier and provides an orientation through verbal instructions as the skier follows the outline of the guide's body and movement. B2, B3. Yeah. Mm. A lightweight portable amplification system, such as the Amplivox PA system, can help the guide and skier remain in close communication. I'd like to try that someday. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I would. Maybe biathlon is something you want to try. That's what I want to try. <laughs> well, according to Wikipedia, the biathlon is a winter sport that combines cross-country skiing and rifle shooting. Love it. <laughs> uh-huh. It is treated as a race with contestants skiing like through a cross-country trail whose distance is divided into shooting rounds. Biathlon athletes with vision loss use a rifle that uses sound to indicate to the athlete how accurate their aim is. So that's for aiming. Yeah. Cool. It shoots a laser beam at the target. No bullets. No bullets. No oh, bullets. that's that's a relief. Yeah, no, no one gets hurt in this No game. injured blind skiers. <laughs> or animals or <laughs> spectators. How about telemark? Have you ever tried that? That's an old form of skiing, I think. That's really old. According to Wikipedia, like telemark skiing is skiing technique that combines elements of alpine and Nordic. Hmm. The appeal of telemark skiing lies in access. Backcountry skiing is something I heard about, right? And that's what they're doing with telemark. You start at one point, you ski down a mountain, you climb up the side of another mountain, you ski down the back of that one, and then you end up somewhere else. Have you heard of the blind skier Tyson Reddy? I have. Who founded the Braille Mountain Initiative. That's going to be our guest. <laughs> Really? I'm talking to Tyson about backcountry skiing oh, for nice. low vision blind people. This guy's doing it, man. He's doing it in Western Canada. Oh, cool. That's cool. Hey, thanks, Lily. Yeah. Time for the bucket list. Tyson, welcome to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Thank you for agreeing to be on the uh, podcast there. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, my. It's my pleasure. Uh, you know, I've never skied in the Rocky Mountains. I've skied in, uh, I guess, Colorado counts like the Rocky Mountains, uh, even on the American side. Excuse me, I'm being a little <laughs> geographically yeah. ignorant here. But uh, Yeah, sure. No worries. You're you're there. You're there in the Rockies, right? Uh, what What's your nearest town or city? So where I'm in right now is Invermere, and Invermere is in the Columbia Valley, and the Columbia Valley actually separates 
um, the Rocky Mountains from the Purcells. So we have the, the Canadian Rockies on the east here, and then on the west side of the valley, we have the Purcell Mountains. Okay. So uh, which side of the border are you on? We're right in the middle here. The town is right in the middle of the valley. Very cool. separates those two ranges. Yeah, yeah. You're an American, I guess. Uh, nope. Nope. I'm Canadian. Cool. Okay. I'm from, uh, I'm from originally from southern Alberta. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I've, I've been in the Kananaskis country. I did some field research out there, and I did some uh, summiting out there. I heard you tried a big summit operation uh, this past summer. You, I guess you had some time to kill with everything going on? Um, yeah, me and a friend uh, tried to climb Mount Farnham, which is the tallest mountain in the Purcells. Um, the summit is just just under uh, 3,500 meters. So it's a, it's a decently sized objective. And, you know, everything uh, went, uh, went really well. Um, you know, we didn't quite make it to the top. We had to turn around 100 meters from the top, unfortunately. Um, you know, snowpack over this winter was uh, roughly 20% over average. So getting up there, um, you know, getting to portions of the mountain that would typically be snow-free, it was, it was not the case um, this go-around. So we just came up on a lot more snow than we'd expected and, and what we were prepared to take on. So, you know, another summer, it'll certainly be done. The temptation to summit is important, uh, for sure, but I think just being up there, just being up there. And, uh, you know, what I found, though, is when you walk up, when you walk up the backside of those mountains, as a, someone with a visual disability, and when I did it last, I still could see a little peripheral vision, but I never, I couldn't see around me. I could only see what was next next to me, right? So it's yep. like at some point, I really felt like the whole world had just tilted because I couldn't get perspective by looking around at the other mountains. The only thing I could see was this tilted ground underneath me. Right. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a little bit unsettling, but I, I powered through. It can be frustrating to to not be able to get the full picture. I'm in a bit of a similar boat right now. I have uh, central vision loss and my peripheral vision, um, you know, it's there, it's not fully intact. It's not, uh, it, it has deteriorated a little bit as well, but um, the central vision loss is the main issue. And this is due to Lieber's hereditary optic neuropathy. So I'm in a similar boat to what you just described. Um, you just can't grasp the entire world around you, unfortunately. But uh, you don't always need to, I guess. No, you don't. Uh, you know, as long as as long as you can, uh, you know, put one foot in front of the other or, or one hand in front of the other, you can you can make your way up. And and, and you've done this, and you 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 want to do this. It's a Braille Mountain Initiative, man. I love the name. I love the name because really, it's like touching the mountain, right? It's it's it says it all. Yeah, absolutely. There's a common phrase in the ski industry for when you're skiing in a in a whiteout in alpine terrain. People refer to that as as skiing by braille, um, you know, because you are just feeling your way down the mountain. And as a visually impaired person or a blind person, I mean, that's that's essentially what you're doing every day. So yes, yeah, so I was trying to think about how do I turn that you know that phrase of of skiing by braille into a name and and not so much a phrase, and and that's uh, that's what we ended up with. Yeah, I I don't think it's derogatory at all, right? It's you know I think it's it says what you're about, and it says it in a cool way. I mean, I use braille for a lot of things, a lot of labeling. I'm not a proficient reader, but I still think it's a fantastic tool to have in my toolbox. I, I actually can't read braille. My right eye was affected in uh, late 2018 and then my left eye in summer of 2019. So we're just past a year at this point of blindness. So, you know, I've focused my time learning how to use JAWS and, and other things that I think are a little bit more relevant when it comes to re-entering the workforce. But, you know, at some point I'd like to learn Braille or at least some, some bits and pieces because there are situations like, you know, where 
certainly comes into play, like elevators, obviously. You know, you go to huh? any hospital, you got to use an elevator and not knowing Braille, that's, you know, that's the first situation that popped in my mind where i got to get this figured out. And slapping Braille labels on stuff can be pretty helpful. You know, you learn the grade one Braille. It's, there's only 26 letters, 26 Braille letters. It, it's not rocket science, but it goes really fast. You're over the hump. Like I can tell you, as a, someone who's gone through vision loss, you're over the hump, my friend. You know, from now on, it's just uh, improving the quality of your life. It's not, you're not going downhill anymore. So no worries. I mean, you can live life as a blind person or as a functionally blind person and then just use your peripheral to enjoy those sunsets at this point, you know? So uh, go for it. Go for it. Hey, uh, so tell me the difference between Outback and Alpine. Like, I think I know, but I, you know, clarify that for me because you're talking Outback and that's way, way like cooler than just Alpine. Right. Yeah, so the, the, the more common term would actually be backcountry, um, or some people would simply say ski touring. But um, the big difference here is, you know, we're, we're not using the lifts. You're getting to the top of the terrain under your own power. So a lot of people have at some point seen or are aware of um, what telemark bindings are. And, um, and ski touring kind of was a, uh, an, elev- an evolution, sorry, from telemark bindings, right? Telemark bindings allow the toe to pivot. Um, so the heel is released, and, and that's how people early on in the days began hiking uphill with skis on. And you put a material in the bottom of your ski that allows the ski to slide in one direction but not the other. Huh. So you don't lose your progress as you're, as you're moving uphill. And Now, the bindings that we're all using today for, for ski touring are different from Telemark bindings in the way that you can then lock the heel down. So you release the heel to walk up the mountain. Once you get to the top and you're ready to ski, you pull that material off the bottom of your skis and uh, lock the heel in place. And so as you're skiing, you're skiing the same way that you would be if you were alpine skiing. Um, you've got the same sensation, you know, the heel's locked in place. So yeah, same security, level of security. Equipment yeah. And the way you're accessing the terrain. It's also, you're, you're not going down groomed trails either, right? That's right. Yeah. So like, I mean, the places that we're going skiing, you know, there is no resort around, right? Like you're, you're skiing off of the highway somewhere, or you're, you know, you're going up logging roads somewhere in the mountains, things like that. There are, there are certainly opportunities to, to ski tour and backcountry ski, you know, just outside of resort boundaries and, and potentially utilizing some of the lifts. But a lot of people are just heading into the mountains off the highway somewhere. And so there's, there's no lift in sight. No snowmobiling involved or helicopters, or is that more for advanced, uh, whether or not whether or not you use those tools is really just about personal preference or money. Um, heli skiing is a very big thing out here in Western Canada. People come from all over the world to heli ski. Bit of a different concept because you're not getting to the top of the mountain under your own your own power and ability, right? You're utilizing a helicopter, but certainly um, a really exciting way and a really efficient way to access the backcountry. Um, some wheels definitely utilized as well. Once again, it really comes down to personal preference and and what the wallet's going to allow you to do. But um, for myself personally, if we're using a snowmobile, it's often just to access terrain. You know, logging roads in the winter are not plowed, so often maybe you snowmobile down 30 or 40 k's of logging road instead of walking, and then you start your hiking from there. So all potential tools if you're into it and if you got the wallet for it. I was reading an article years ago about Pope John Paul, and apparently when he was a younger priest before he, before he was the Pope, that was his passion, right? Like he just loved going in and, and doing this backcountry type skiing. He said, you, you, you climb up one mountain, you ski down the back, you, and then you get to the next mountain, you climb up that one and you ski down the back and you start at one point and you come out at another point. It, it sounds like a, 
you know, the, what skis were originally meant for is to get you from place to place, right? Uh, you know, in as efficient a manner as possible. And at some point, I guess people just turned it into a sport where you just do the same run over and over again because it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. That's, that's definitely how, you know, that's, that's a good, uh, good basis of the evolution of skiing. It very much started as a means of transportation um, and, and evolved from that into a, into the sport that we're most familiar with, which is, which is riding the chairlift. Um, and, you know, and, and what you described about, you know, one mountain and then the next and, and ending up somewhere different than you started. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely a thing that, you know, people are doing all over Western Canada and, and all over the Northwestern States and, you know, wherever there's mountains in Europe and South America and whatnot, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sport that's growing at a tremendous pace. You've booked out already for, uh, 2021. Right? Are you talking the March, April, twenty twenty one, or next uh, winter? Uh... Yeah, we'll be looking at um, dates in late March or early April. Um, we haven't filled all the seats yet. I've got a list of potential participants that uh, we're still going through. Um, the main focus at this point, actually, is we're we're really working on getting the sponsorship sorted out. Um, there's a number of barriers in the past that. Um, have made the sport of backcountry skiing relatively inaccessible to the blind and visually impaired. Um, and the financial aspect is um, is obviously a, a large one. So, you know, in particular when it comes to, to skiing, the, the cost of these activities is always going to be at a minimum double for a blind person because you're going to have an equal expense associated with the, the sighted guide mm. that's, yeah. that's required. And we got to get that person into the mountains and we got to provide them with equipment and we got to provide them with lodging and things like that. So, um, you know, the program becomes very costly. So sponsorship is a big thing here. We're looking for someone who is going to uh, to take on that cost for us. And in return, what we're uh, planning on providing is marketing material. Um, you know, we can, I mean, these are, these are tremendous athletes. The people that have expressed an interest, they are strong skiers. They've got a great level of fitness. They're really enthusiastic about the opportunity to try this. And they're people that can ski very strongly and confidently at the resort. And now they're looking for this additional challenge. So, you know, these are top tier athletes. We're going to put them in this, you know, this really stunning alpine environment, um, big mountains, big glaciers, and we can really create some outstanding marketing material. So that's the trade-off. Yeah. You know, we're looking for an outdoor equipment manufacturer, clothing manufacturer, someone like that who's willing to say, yeah, absolutely, we'll fund this and exchange. We've got uh, a really skilled photographer who's proficient in working in the mountains that's going to, you know, gather that marketing material for us. And, um, and I, think that's a, I think that's a tremendous deal. I think that, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what these companies are going to be doing anyways. They're going to be getting outstanding footage of top-tier athletes doing cool stuff in the mountains. And now we've added this additional narrative of they're all blind. Yeah, yeah. And then you go with the documentary. And you give that presentation at their uh, at their conventions, at their annual general meetings. What a motivator, you know, what a motivator. Hey, if these people, if you can organize this, a team of blind people to go off and do this. And everyone comes out alive and happy and feeling a sense of accomplishment. And really, I mean, that's what life's all about is accomplishments, successes, right? I mean, it makes life worth living. Yeah, 100%. And I think the other element of what we're doing, you know, what we're doing is, is really going to benefit the participants of the program. But I think there's the potential here to benefit a lot of people that are not on the program, right? You know, uh, people that are going blind at a young age and are wondering how are they going to continue on and what are they going to miss out on? Well, they can see that, you know, or, or find out that blind people are doing things like this. They're taking on these types of challenges. I think there's 
there's a real potential here to, uh, you know, inspire both the sighted and non-sighted community to, you know, to change their perspective on, on the challenges they come up against. So, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's the other element here, right? We're not just helping the people that are on the program. We're providing, providing a substantial source of inspiration for, you know, oh, yeah. for anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, I mean, I, I love skiing. I love alpine skiing. I, I think I love cross country skiing more actually, but I love both. And, uh, you know, but I ski mostly with a, with a club, right? A, a blind ski club called the Ski Hawks. And, you know, it's, it's up and down and up and down. Volunteers come and go. And uh, it, it just, to me, every time I do it, I have this sense of accomplishment. I'm like, yeah, man, I, 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 I like skiing. I go skiing. And, yeah, I'm blind. And, yeah, I, I don't see what's in front of me. But I can still get down the hill. And, you know, in some, some ways it's an advantage because when I'm standing at the top of the hill and I look down, I'm not looking down. So I'm not getting freaked out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, leave. 100%. I, I just leave, and I'm going okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's that's an interesting thing. I I've come to notice the odd time now too is being in the mountains with people. We've found ourselves in the odd scenario where, you know, the sighted friends I'm with are a little bit uncomfortable with the terrain we're about to move through, or the you know the particular part of the route that we're in, and you know and, and to a certain extent, you know, I'm oblivious to the hazard and therefore there's, there's no reason to be, you know, uncomfortable by it kind of thing, right? Yeah. So we'll move through a particular piece of terrain and, you know, a friend might say something, well, I'm glad that's over and I'll have to say, well, why is that? You just can't fully grasp yeah. 100% of the, of the big picture, then yeah, you can take some of those, um, some of those elements out of there. The anxiety. And that's the anxiety that's the problem, right? I'm, I'm not saying take risks, but I'm saying just being anxious can make you all stiff. And if you do start off your run all stiff and nervous and, and uptight, the chances of injuring yourself are quite a bit higher. You got to be loose and flexible. Laughing. Laughing is a good way to go down a hill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, uh, where can we follow you? How do we follow this? How do we get involved? How do we, uh, if people want to donate, get involved with this, or maybe you sign up? Right now, we do a lot of our communications through Facebook, so um, anybody can look up Braille Mountain Initiative on Facebook, or um, alternatively, they can talk to me directly by emailing me at BrailleMountainInitiative at Outlook.com. And, uh, and yeah, so anybody that's interested in donating or sponsoring, you know, anybody that needs more information for any reason, wants to participate in the program, send me an email, and, uh, and I'll certainly get back to them with the information they need. We'll put that in the show notes as well on the uh, so people can get that as well. And we'll put that on Facebook and uh, on the website. So thank you, Tyson. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters. Tyson Reddy from the Braille Mountain Initiative. Let's talk equipment and let's talk technique. Walk us through some of the tips and techniques and equipment you're using. One thing that comes to mind immediately is um, an essential piece of companion rescue equipment that you need when traveling in the backcountry is an avalanche transceiver. Um, and this is a device that you wear on you that sends a signal at all times while you're in the backcountry. So if there were an avalanche, that's how the search would begin, is others can switch their transceiver from send mode to search mode, and they can begin searching for you. However, most modern transceivers relay all that data in a visual way. Um, it takes the signal in and then it shows you arrows on the screen and it gives you a distance in meters. Um, so right away, that's not gonna work for a blind or visually impaired person. 
Um, and like I said, it is an essential item. You cannot travel safely in the backcountry in the winter without these things. Hmm. Um, so right away, that was something that we got to, you know, we had to think, okay, how do we, how do we navigate this problem? And there are, um, there is one company that still makes transceivers that use uh, an analog mode, which means that it, in, it interprets the signal and then turns it into an audio and just provides you with that, right? So it's a beep that'll sound out to you every second, and the closer you get, the louder it gets, and once you reach the max volume, you dial down into the next range. And this was how transceivers functioned early on in their, you know, when they were, when they were just being invented. And oh. it's, tra- it's, it's moved into this digital format that most people are familiar with. However, there is one manufacturer called Mammoth that still makes transceivers that have that analog function built into them as a backup or as a problem-solving tool. It wasn't meant for the blind or visually impaired, but that's what works for us. So we can actually still go out and buy a modern transceiver off the shelf and, you know, well, successfully use it for, for avalanche rescue because we can um, feel the controls to get the transceiver into analog search mode and go from there. So that's a huge data. What's the range of something like that? The range is about 80 meters. Right. And, and that's for... That's a, a rough number for all transceivers. Some are a little bit less. Some newer transceivers are claiming slightly more range, but 80 meters is reasonable. So, um, so that's the starting point. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the, they're hand tools, and they can be used just by, uh, just as easily by a blind person, right? Like a, a probe and a shovel and, and whatnot. The probe might be pretty cool because a blind person's used to using that cane, right? A lot of us use a cane for probing and touching. So we might make excellent probers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, blind and visually impaired people are definitely going to have that that sensitivity to touch and um, and are uh, are really probably going to do a better job recognizing the difference between you know say a log that's under the snow and a person. Yeah. So you're right for sure. I think blind people are, are maybe uh, in uh, in an advantageous place when it comes to that tool. What about going down the hills? When you're going on trails that are not groomed trails, are you? tethering are you using uh, electronic communications you know, i think electronic communication is is kind of a personal preference thing and if you're into that that's that's great and by all means use it tethering i've never experimented with but one of the reasons that i really enjoy skiing in the backcountry is the sense of freedom and independence that can be offered what what i'm really searching for when i'm skiing with friends is opportunities to get high into the alpine above the tree line get on some big open glaciers things like that and once you're in an environment where there's, you know, a totally pristine, untouched snowpack, there's, you know, you've completely removed the variable hazard of other skiers, you can ski more independently than you ever could at the resort. A friend of mine could ski, you know, four or 500 meters down the mountain, and before he skis off, describe the terrain to me and say, basically, there's nothing for you to hit for four or 500 meters. Oh, that's and then, my dream, my dream. Know, I love it. You know, I'll ski to his voice, he'll make some noise, and, and we'll end up in the same place. And so it's a sense of independence that I don't think is attainable um, in the resort setting. So as far as equipment to, to manage the guiding of the whole situa- situation, I, I don't think it's necessary. Like I said, we don't use, we don't use headsets. We don't use tethering. You know, it's, it's a far more independent experience. And a lot less noise around, too, I guess. I mean, you're not dealing with other people yelling and, 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 and the swish of other people's skis and all that racket, right? It's just you, your guide, and the environment. That's absolutely right, yep. Hey, thank you so much for uh, giving us these tips, man. I never thought of either of these things, but, oh, man, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> right on, man, right on.
Who would have thought there were so many different types of skiing opportunities available for low vision and blind Canadians? It's fantastic that all these organizations exist across Canada, giving these opportunities for people to ski safely and to make new friends. You know, I ski with my family sometimes, but to be honest, to have a sighted family member responsible for guiding me is a lot of burden to put on a family member, I'll tell you, that's not always appreciated. Guiding a skier, a blind skier, down a mountain isn't easy. It takes a certain level of skill and it takes a certain type of personality. You really have to have a good sense of humor because all sorts of things happen on the hill. The downhill ski club I go skiing with here in Ottawa is all about close precision guiding. They stay right behind me. It's a short hill. They're the Gatineau Hills. They're not wide slopes. There's a lot of people. You have to be careful going down and there's a lot of really sharp drop-offs and trees and other obstacles you got to work around. It takes a lot of instruction, but it's totally doable. And you know, for me, I don't see any of that anyway, so it's all fun. When I go skiing in Quebec, it's a different situation. The mountains and the slopes there are bigger, the slopes are wider, way more opportunity for me just to be free. And they use a different technique of guiding out there too. Instead of telling me left, right, left, right, the guide will ski behind me, put me in the middle of the hill at the top, and basically just tell me every time I cross that center line as we go down the hill. So I can go left, and then I can turn, and as I come back across that center line, the guide will yell, centre, telling me I crossed that center line. And then I can go as far right as I want before turning back left again. And as I cross left, he'll yell, centre. That way, I always know where the center of the hill is, but turning is up to me. The other thing they do, which is pretty cool, is when we need to do some close precision type orientating around obstacles or people, he'll ski up beside me and say, pole. I'll reach out with my left pole, lifting it up. They'll take the tip of my pole, and then we become one. They pull my pole left, I'll go left. They push my pole right, I'll go right. And then on three, three, two, one, they'll drop the pole, and I'm free again. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. We're dropping new episodes every Friday, folks. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.